Okay, let's be honest here. How many think 1 o'clock every week would be pretty cool? I mean, we, nobody's brought it up, but I'm telling you, I think it's kind of neat. Elders, pay attention. It's the first day of the week. Everything counts just like as it would if it were 7.45 in an ungodly hour of the morning. Or any, I mean, we, now, now things are going to, now go back, don't yet, not yet, not yet. You messed it up, back it up, no, just make it blank. Never mind, you won't know who that is anyway, some of you. So, so here's the thing, like, I thought about this on the way here, I thought, we could get used to this every time, but you know what would happen if you knew it was like this? You would schedule something in the morning and you'd mess it up. Because every Sunday morning, you know where you are. You're in the Lord's, you know, with the Lord's people worshiping. And because of the weirdness of the day, that time couldn't be stolen by anything else. And you got time to drink that coffee and look out at the beautiful ice on the trees and just made a wonderful morning out of it. And then you come here and you're like, man, I could get used to this every week. Well, no, you'd probably, it'd probably be dull after a while. But sure was nice, wasn't it? Sure was nice. It was a neat thing. Grateful that you're here and you made your way here. If you'll make your way to Matthew chapter 10, we'll be there in a moment. A few things. I've got to say one thing to the college group that I want the rest of you just to buzz out for a minute. Just kind of fade away like you normally do in about five minutes. Do it a little bit early. I'm going to just say to the college group, last week we had a Bible class talking about God is not concerned about who you marry as far as race. He's mostly concerned about your faith. And I gave them a good reprimand. Uh, for, forever treating somebody different uh, because they're going, they're engaged to or marrying somebody of a different race. And it was an inappropriate reprimand because that's not a problem with these guys. I'd heard about it somewhere that it might be a problem, so I kind of issued that to them. And it turns out it wasn't a problem at all, and I'd kind of jumped the gun on that. And I owe them an apology, and I hope that you'll, you'll, you'll accept my apology. I heard some things and uh, kept it in my, to myself for a while, and then I just decided, because we're in a topic, uh, a passage of Scripture that deals with that, to issue that, and it was not appropriate for them. None of them were guilty of it. Uh, now, the only reason I tell you that here is because I was going to do that in Bible class this morning, but since we didn't have Bible class, and even though my vote was to have it, the elders vetoed me, uh, it was either go another week without telling them that, and I can't accept that. I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to issue that public repair as soon as I can. So this was my first chance. So I apologize to you guys. But we are going to talk about that again in a different vein. No reprimand. So I just tell you that. Uh, and, and then the elders said, but you can preach for three hours if you want. So I love that compromise. Y'all settle in, okay? Okay, and as you leave here in just a few moments, in a, few, in a couple hours when you leave, when you go out the door, there's a couple of things. If you're in the marriage class on Wednesday night that meets in the auditorium, not all the books were here Sunday, uh, last Wednesday, and so more of them are out on that table. If you didn't get one and you're in that class, now if you're not in that class, don't get one, okay? If you were in that class and did not get one, please do that as you leave. But also, those of you who are older, and no one's told me what that definition is. If you are an older lady of the congregation, there are poinsettias, is that how you say it? Or a poinsettia. It's a, who cares, it's a cat killer. It's, uh, go on out, the teenagers will hand you one, but they're a little bit gun shy because if they hand you one and you feel offended because you're not an older lady, then they feel guilty. So what are we supposed to do? What are the teenagers supposed to do? If you want one, look them in the eye and just kind of nod, okay? And they'll hand it to you. And if you don't, 
don't, don't get mad at them. But we may have some extras anyway, and so we may, they might hand them to some younger ladies too. So you can just decide which one you are when they hand it to you, okay? It's a special gift every year given at Valley View and hope that you'll, you'll take it for what, for what it is. Those young people, don't forget, you have some cool stuff this afternoon, so don't forget, uh, Ma- uh, Michael does a great job of sending those texts out, so it should be no problem to you. All right, does anybody know who this is? Gary James, you know who this is? You know everything. No, okay. How many know who these people are? All right. Danny, you know? I'm so stumped. I should have you get up here and lead home sweet home. <laughs> or kickstart my heart. Or girls, girls, girls. That sound familiar? Do you ever think you'd go to church and hear that from the pulpit? That's, we're a cool church, y'all. We're hip. This is Motley Crue. That's one of, I think that's one of the younger years. And this is one of the later years. Next one. Yeah. A little bit later, I was going to put Danny and Paul and Wesley on there, and I just didn't know how to pull it off, and I kind of like my job and all that, so I, I just left it that. As the absolute expert on Motley Crue is LaVon. She listens to Motley Crue in the office all the time. I know, it just doesn't seem right, does it? Uh, and I think there'll probably be some disfellowshipping somewhere along the line, but she says Mick Mars is one of them. Uh, was looking at this collection of people together for a band and said, uh, isn't this a motley crew? And that's how the name came around. The rock band and the legend was born. And you might say, well, what does this have to do with anything? We're in church. We're in church. What are you doing? It, it highlights something. We have a church secretary that when she's stressed, like all at Pakistan time and other places, she lo- starts listening to this stuff. It kind of soothes her. I don't understand that as a country music guy. I just don't understand how that soothes you. Uh, but I can tell by the level of volume whether it's really stressed or just a little, you know. And so you'll hear it barely in the background, and then suddenly you'll hear it go up whenever there's a couple of phone calls that were unpleasant. And I'm listening to Don Williams. She's doing the Motley Crue thing, and Michael's playing video games, and it's just kind of a weird thing. <laughs> and then you make your way down the hall on a Sunday, and you come into the auditorium, and you see all the church, and I'm telling you, it's a Motley Crue here too, isn't it? Here's what Motley means. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a mistake. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be Gary James for you. I'm going to define a word with a word you don't know what it means, right? How can you define a word using a word nobody knows what it means? It means incongruously varied in appearance or character, or what's the other one? Incongruous mixture. And you're like, huh? Okay. Uh, here's what incongruous means. Next one. Not in harmony or keeping with the surroundings or other aspects of something. Not quite like you would expect of everything else that's there. A motley crew is a mixture of people that just, you look at it and you can't find the common denominator. You look at it and you're like, man, this doesn't fit one particular attribute. They're all just so different. Motley crew. And I want you to look out at Valley View and what you see in our church when we get together are different generations. You have people in one assembly this morning, some people who are really, really young, newborns basically, and you have people who are 90 plus. And and generations are notorious for, for being in conflict with each other, and here we are in one family all together here. We're not putting some in here and some in here and some over here and breaking them up by ages. We're all together in one spot. How weird is that? Not many places do that. Not many institutions do that. We have different races, not near as many as I wish we had. 
but we have different races here. We have Democrats and we have Republicans. I only know that because I follow you all on Facebook. We have social liberals and we have conservatives. We have a preacher who likes to eat chicken and a member who wants to go to heroic measures to save them all. And I want to tell you, that preacher who likes to eat chicken loves that member who wants to save them all. We can laugh, but I wouldn't want Valley View without that mixture. I want them all. It's a motley crew, isn't it? We have people who can write big checks for almost anything. And we also have members, I know for a fact, who struggle to make ends meet. And somehow we're here all together in one spot. Worshiping the same God together, singing the same words. We have people who don't have children. People who have many. And people who are fostering, fostering kids who are not their quote-unquote own. Some of you have new kids, just born. Some of you have great-grandkids, and some of you are kids. And here we are in one building, united by one thing. We have people who don't like people much. And in fact, they get out of here as fast as they can. They're not people people. And even this morning, we have two of them coming together. We have Martha Rampy, who loves staying visiting, and Phil Rampy, who wants to get away from you as fast as he can. And he usually comes to early service. She comes to later service because she wants to stay and talk to real people, and he wants to get out of here as fast as he can. And they're in the same car today. I don't know what they're going to do. Motley crew. And some who seem like they're always the last to leave, right? Some uh, that I know in this church really need the fellowship stuff that's offered here. They really need the camaraderie because you know what? They don't have family living around here. And they value that. And we have others who don't need that fellowship so much. But they come here and worship. And it's important to them. And I want them both. It's a motley crew, isn't it? It's a motley crew. We have some people I know when talking to them, they still don't feel like they belong anywhere. We really do. There are people who come even on a regular basis. They're just like, I don't know where I fit. I'm just not comfortable here yet. Maybe new, or maybe they've been here a long time, and they just don't know where they fit, but they keep coming anywhere. And then we've got some people that no matter where they are, they're going to make themselves fit. We have some members who are a little cranky at times, and you know who they are. You take them with a grain of salt just like I do. And I wouldn't want to do Valley View without them. And we wouldn't be the family we need to be without them because they make us all better whether you see it or not. And even when you're frustrated and you drive home going, that member, you, 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 you member? Some of us are part of the Valley View Grazers. I'm going to describe them and see if I get any of them to respond. You know who they are. They're not in Bible class. They wander around the building. And they sit in those wonderful, comfortable chairs out there. And right now, they say they're protecting us from the invading aliens that could come at any moment. They're pacing back and forth. And I can say anything about them because they'll never hear me anyway. I don't see any of them right now, but I know they're out there. They're milling about, and they're going to say they're protecting us, but they're sitting out there talking to each other with coffee. I know that's what they're doing. I find these creatures strange, and I talk about them a lot. But I'm glad they're here. It's a motley crew that we have at Valley View. I'm glad they're here and Evers. And, and there's others maybe who have a, a little bit, and, and if you were to be honest, you'd tell them they have a, a bit of an air of superiority about them at times, right? They kind of have this way, this sophisticated way. Some of you have a doctorate, and you're sitting on the same pew, 
as a person who barely graduated high school, if they did at all, sitting on the same pew, a motley crew of people. Some of you are not comfortable here, but you're still giving it a shot. And I'm glad you are, and I admire you for it. Some of you have been home here for a a long time, and nothing could make you reconsider how wonderful it is to be here. And some of you are a little bit odd, according to me. And some of you are a little bit like me, and I still find you odd. And others mesh with me very well, and I, I just find you very likable. And every single one of you belongs here. And Valley View would not be Valley View without you. And that almost rhymes. Now, you're going to say, what does this have to do with anything? You're supposed to be preaching the Bible. Well, we are. We're in Matthew chapter 10. But in Matthew chapter 10, you've got to go back to Matthew chapter 9 when he says, you know, uh, to the disciples, I want you to call, I want you to pray and ask God to send somebody to, to reach the world because the world is ripe for harvest and there's not enough workers out here. So you, and then all of a sudden you turn to chapter 10 and he picks 12 of them. He picks out of the thousands of followers that follow him and have been following him from the very beginning. We're told thousands in different places in, in the Gospels. And out of those thousands, he, he isolates 12 of them. Now, they're converts already. They've been following him for a long time, and they've believed in him, and they've been disciples already, but now he makes them apostles. Out of the thousands, he, he kind of boils it down to 12. And this is very significant because he's going to make the same number as the twi- of the tribes of Israel. But these 12 are actually even more important because it says in Matthew 19, verse 8, that they will rule over even the 12 tribes of Israel. These guys are important people. Their names are inscribed in the foundations according to that vision of Revelation chapter 21, verse 14. All their names are written, written there. And this number is important. And you know that later on when Judas kills himself, he kills himself and that makes him 11, obviously. And in chapter 1 of Acts, they have to replace him. It's got to be 12. It's got to be 12. But then later on when James dies, they don't replace him. When he's killed by Herod, they don't replace him because he's a faithful 12. The 12's important. 12 apostles. 12. It has to be that number. And we learn what the criteria of an apostle is. Go ahead and go forward. I think we're behind some. Because I, yeah, those, you remember the old flannel graphs? That's kind of what that reminds me of. Keep going to Acts chapter 1. And you see this description. What it takes to be an apostle is that you had to follow with your eyes and ears in the actual presence of Jesus from the time he was baptized by John until the time he was resurrected. Because the apostles are not just preaching truth. They're preaching truth they saw. They're preaching truth they heard with their ears. As John says, that which is from the beginning, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, our hands have touched, we're going to tell you about him. And we have to know that these 12 were there, and they actually saw the things they reported and preached and wrote. And Jesus says in his final prayer in the garden, many will believe through those apostles, and that's what he made them for. They bear witness. And one of the reasons we believe in the resurrection is not just the empty tomb, but these 12 guys who saw Jesus as resurrected. You see, they're going to go through some horrendous experiences. They're going to face horrible death and great treatment of suffering. And there's no way that they would endure it if what they had seen was not true. And what they had actually seen with their eyes was a risen Jesus who they know was dead but now is raised. Obviously, that means there's no apostles today. When you visit a church that says that they're 
being led by an apostle, and I see these people on TV every once in a while, it just makes me cringe. They'd have to be really, really old, right, to be an apostle. There are other apostles that aren't of the 12, but these 12 are the apostles that left their eyewitnesses. And Jesus, Jesus stayed up and prayed all night for these 12, and it says the church is built on the apostles in Ephesians chapter 2. How in the world did he narrow down the thousands to these 12? These guys are going to be intimate with Jesus for a long time. They're going to hear words, see how he lived. They're going to hear him and, and learn from him how to pray and how to preach and how to do miracles. You even see from the text in Matthew chapter 10, it gave them authority over unclean spirits and cast them out and healed diseases and affliction. There's excitement there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, there's a slide for that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, it says these are the signs of a true apostle. They can actually do these things. Only the apostles could do them, pass them on, but ended with those, the apostles were the ones who could do it. Extremely significant figures. The foundation of the church was laid by the apostles, Ephesians 2. That's the next one, I think. Still, that doesn't explain the motley crew idea, does it? And how strange and ordinary we are as a church. But then maybe if you look at the list in Hebrews chapter 10, or in, sorry, Matthew chapter 10, you might understand that. Why did he choose who he chose? When you consider what their role would be and how significant they are to the church, you have to wonder, why did you pick these 12, Jesus? The vantage point we have is very discouraging. The first few months of their training, they're not impressive. The first one in the list, and he's prominent in every list, first and he is foremost. First is Simon, who's called Peter. And he's this great guy, but you know what his biggest attribute is? He wanted to do more than he actually could actually pay off. You ever be one of those people that's, I want to do so much, and I want to do this, and I intend to do this, but you just can't seem to pull it off all the time? That's Peter. These guys lack faith. They lack humility. They're constantly jockeying for position. Who's going to be the greatest? Will you give me places of honor in your kingdom? Who's the most important? Even while they're walking to the cross with Jesus, they're fighting over which one of them is the greatest and most important and the most prominent and which one's going to stand out in the kingdom. They're fighting over who's going to be impressive among this motley crew, right? What's ironic is when Jesus is crucified, only one of them see it. The rest of them scatter. They can't even cast a demon out of the boy at the foot of the Mount of Transfiguration. This prayerful selection of Jesus is questionable. There's nothing outstanding about these guys. Nothing stands out. None of them shines at all as, as their personality or character or attributes. Nothing about them impresses anybody. They wouldn't be valedictorians of any class. The authorities in Acts later on say, we are so amazed these unschooled Galileans can accomplish so much. When I think about the role that they're going to have, I would pick a preacher, I would pick a rabbi, I would pick a Pharisee. Jesus picks none of those. I'm a fan of, of Doris Kearns Goodwin, who wrote the book about Lincoln's choosing his cabinet. Team of Rivals. He chose some adversaries. He chose some people who hated his guts. 
But the thing is, he, he chose people from different political parties, and he chose the smartest and the wisest and the sharpest because he wanted to have the best cabinet ever. He was in very delicate times, and he forms this team of people who didn't even like him. Jesus did this years before Lincoln did. What a weird tactic. You pick a, a zealot, at least one, maybe two, this is a radical political group that hated everything Roman. They wanted to oppose all Roman overseeing. And they hated anybody who was a traitor. And not only did they hate them, they hated them so radically they called them zeal, zealots. They were willing to go to terroristic measures and even stab people who were tax collectors. And lo and behold, he picks two or maybe of these guys, and then he comes along and he picks Matthew. Wouldn't that be the greatest kind of sleepover in the world? What kind of person does this? Jesus is picking these weird people. Six of them were poor. And then you have Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, who is a, a nobleman. He's probably a wealthy guy. It's possible that some of them suffered from the actions of other groups that others of the apostles had been part of. How did he do this? He called these people into the same group, an intimate group of 12, and forced them to hear and to preach and practice the Beatitudes. He gave them the ability to heal and cast out demons for people from all classes and political persuasion. Nothing engenders compassion more than when you have to practice it. The privileged ones among them had to reach out to the poor and preach to the poor just like Jesus did. And something about doing that breaks down these barriers a little more. If, you, if some of them had been mistreated and they're forced to preach that we're about forgiveness and repentance and the truth of God... When you actually have to practice and promote the words of God, it forces you to put other things into perspective, and suddenly politics fades away in the background. I'm one who believes this, that when we get together and we have Bible class, we should preach Bible. We should preach and teach Bible, because by doing that, we push everything else back. Everything else that divides and separates us gets pushed back, and the one thing we can agree on is the truth given by the inspiration of God found in Scripture. And when you're able to do that, and when you start teaching it and preaching it, there's no room for all this divisive stuff. That's why Bible class should be very unifying. The secret is the truth that we commit to. This group was really something. Jesus somehow thought he could take what we would call, it's, why don't you put together this sometime, a couple of Donald Trump activists, three illegal aliens, two unemployed blue-collar white male workers, an elitist black Democratic woman, three Yankees and two Southerners, and a Mexican governing official, and put them together and see what happens. Boom! Right? One writer put it this way, church is a community of enemies learning to love each other. It was that way from the beginning. It was a motley crew in that disciples group. And Jesus meant it that way. And look around, it only continues. If we're doing it right, it will continue looking that way. It will continue looking diverse and odd and peculiar because that's how God intended it to look. We're seeing the same thing when we look around the church today as, as he did when we looked at the apostles. We have a variety of differences embodied in this room, and somehow we all together come and worship God. We know we're a family of God, and we, do, we fellowship despite our differences. That's the way it is in every age. And what I wish is even our potlucks would look this way. Quit sitting with the same old people. 
Quit sitting with the people just like you, that you know already. The whole idea of a fellowship meal and Pollock is to break that up a little bit and start meeting some people you didn't know before. And you meet people that are on this side from over this side. Somehow or another, we've got to do that, but, but we're doing that to some way because it's working. To Motley Crew, just a couple observations about these 12. Someone wants to make sure that we know this, that if you ever want to know the list of the 12 apostles, you look at the Dr. Pepper commercial. Some of you are like, what? Yeah, okay, look at this. You may have seen that before. That's a Dr. Pepper bottle, but you can get this on a Dr. Pepper clock or advertisement. You're supposed to drink Dr. Pepper at what hours of the day? If you ever want to find the disciples and their names, if you don't know the song, then look it up in Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 through 4. They're the Dr. Pepper apostles. Stupidest thing I've ever heard, but Paul wanted me to say it. Because he thought it was so creative. And I said, Paul, they don't know what in the world you're talking about. But now you know. But you look at this list, and there's nothing about their abilities or their qualities that makes them stand out. I do need to say one thing that's interesting about the list that most people don't like to point out, and they think it may be just coincidence. He insisted on men. He insisted on men doing this. I can promise you he had devoted, capable, godly women with higher spiritual maturity than those men. He did. How do I know that? The women saw every bit of the cross. One of the men did. That would be pretty important, but yet that wasn't enough. He did not choose a woman. And this was not a, a social thing for him. It was a spiritual decision from the heart of God that was part of his created intent. Men, you are called to take a leadership role. It's a burden and it's a responsibility you didn't get to vote about and you didn't have a say in, but you are straddled with. Just get used to it and do the best you can. Nothing spiritually outstanding about these guys until they follow Jesus. And the same is true of us in this community right here. Now what they end up doing is incredible and amazing. It was obviously something beyond their capabilities in themselves. Because God takes what's ordinary and he does something extraordinary with it and changes the world. And he does the same thing today in the same means. He picks ordinary people. Look around. We aren't just some fascinating group of terrifically capable people. We're just kind of ordinary people who believe in extraordinary truth called the gospel and try to live it and pass it on. And when you do that and you're devoted to that gospel, so many divisive things become secondary. I am an American and I, and I do follow some politics, but I must tell you my Americanism and my politics have to live in submission to my allegiance to Christ and yours does too. I'm still one who believes, really, the flag doesn't belong in this auditorium, not in a worship service, because our American identity is secondary to our Christian one, and sometimes they clash. And when they clash, you know which one should win? And some of us feel so much more strongly about whether you kneel at a national anthem than we do about the truth that we believe, that it becomes a divisive thing. I'm not saying it's not important, we shouldn't talk about it. But it's amazing to me how little in the New Testament Paul or anyone ever mentioned the name Nero or Pharaoh or 
whoever is the leader, the emperor, they don't mention names. But Jesus is mentioned an awful, 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 awful lot. Same should be true of us. We're not even sure what happened to all these guys. We never have all that information on any one of them. We know that Matthew wrote Matthew, so we know a little bit about him. We know that John wrote John in four other letters, so we know some about him. We know Peter, he wrote a couple letters, but we don't have much on them as, as much as we'd like, and we don't have anything on the rest of them. They're just kind of lost to history. We have some tradition, but we don't know for sure. And what I think that means is the corporate role is most important, and the individuals within the 12 are not that worthy of mentioning and remembering. Don't, don't get caught up in individual contributions. Instead, look at the whole body. And so Paul picks it up, and he says, let's talk about the body. There is one body, but there's many parts. Don't get fixated on parts, y'all. I don't care whether anybody in Jonesboro knows anything about who preaches at Valley View. I sure do want them to know Valley View, though. That church on the hill, the Valley View Church of Christ, I want them to know about that. I want them to know what they do. They give those sacks around, but I can't really think of the name of the guy who delivered them. Good! Good! I don't care if you do or not. You know the church? It's the church of Christ. I want you to know that. The apostles are a motley crew of ordinary people following an extraordinary Savior accomplishing amazing things for the kingdom. And the Valley View Church of Christ is also a motley crew of very ordinary people. Hope you don't take offense at that. But if you do, it's true, so just settle in. Follow Jesus. We work to accomplish the will of God for our generation. That seems to be God's way of communicating a gospel that's equally odd and equally powerful. And so may God bless us to be motley crew in Jonesboro. So if you're kind of ordinary... Can I tell you this? You belong. If you're so different from the others that you wonder about yourself, that's normal. If you wonder what exactly you have to offer that is worthwhile to God, you are in the right place. It's the same thing here. And whether you like it or not, you're a member of Motley Crue. And you need to go and rock the world until we get to home, sweet home. That's the truth. I hope you know you belong here, and Valley View would not be Valley View without you being here. No matter what you think about your contribution, if you're one who sneaks in and sneaks out, you know what, I hope I catch a glimpse of you every now and then, but I'm glad you're here, and you need a place to come to, and this is for you. And I'm grateful for every one of you strange, odd, peculiar people. That's the only thing that unites us, it seems, is we're strange and ordinary, belonging to an amazing, powerful God who uses us somehow to change lives. And may He always do that. If you are not a person who's given your service and your life over to God, tonight's a, today is a good time to do it. This afternoon's a good time to do it. No one's ever come forward at 2 o'clock in the afternoon at Valley View Church of Christ. No one's ever done it. So why not be the first? You've had some extra sleep to think about it. It's a great time. And this church would love to have you. And I know God even more so. If there's anyone who needs to respond this afternoon, do so as we stand and as we sing.